what we're celebrating this Easter morning, the resurrection of Christ, it brings victory to our life. And that's something to get excited about, something to rejoice over the life change that happens because of the resurrection of Christ. And um, I'm excited that you're here this morning. If you're our guest, just once again, I want to welcome you. And if I haven't had a chance to personally meet you yet, my name is Aaron and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church, and we're so glad that you're with us this morning. We're excited that you're here on Easter morning, and my prayer for you, we've been praying for a number of weeks about this service right here. My prayer is that whether this is your first time, you're brand new to church, you're just checking out this church thing, or whether you've been following Christ for a number of years, that each of us this morning, that we would experience the victory and the power of the resurrection in a new way this morning, and it would change our lives. That's my prayer. And so for us to really understand the power of the resurrection, we need to pause for a moment, and we need to reflect on what Christ went through. Those few days as he walked towards the cross, what that was like for him, and ultimately towards the empty tomb. And so I know you may be familiar with the story, but I want to tell it to you again. And I want you to reflect and really contemplate on what it meant for Christ to rise again on that Easter morning. See, Jesus was born and he lived just like each one of us walked here on this earth. And towards the end of his life, he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. Someone that Jesus had spent three years of his life pouring into, opening up his life, eating meals with, spending time with, this guy turned his back on him and betrayed him, and he devised the plan and handed him over to religious leaders. These religious individuals mocked Jesus, and they beat him. They punched him in the face, and then after they had had their way with Jesus, they handed him over to the Roman Empire, and Pilate this governor of Rome says, I find no fault in this man. There's nothing that I can see in his life that makes me think he's guilty. But in order to appease the crowd, he hands Jesus over to be crucified. And so the Roman soldiers, they weave together a crown and then they drive it into the head of Jesus. They beat him and they take large chunks of his beard and they rip it out from his face until he's almost unrecognizable as a human individual. They whip him until there are simply ribbons of flesh and muscle hanging from his back and from his side. And then they force him to carry his cross to the place of death. That's what it was called, Golgotha, the place of the skull. And right there at the place of death, they take these large nails and they drive them through his wrists, into his feet, into the cross, and they lift him up and suspend him between heaven and earth. And on the cross, you don't die from a loss of blood. If you suffered the cross, you didn't die because of the physical ailment that your body was going through. You died of suffocation. You could no longer lift yourself up anymore to take one final breath. And so Jesus on the cross, he declares, it is finished. Everything that God sent me to do, I have fulfilled it. I have accomplished it. And in that moment, God's word tells us that Jesus breathed his last breath. And then these professional executioners, these guys who were skilled at killing people, take a spear and they drive it through the side of Jesus until it pierces his heart and blood and water flows. That was the official sign that Jesus was dead. They had done their job well. 
And so they take him down from the cross and he's buried in an empty tomb, in a borrowed tomb. And Friday comes and goes. Saturday comes and goes. And then early that Sunday morning, the close followers of Jesus, they're carrying spices. They're carrying some ceremonial linens to wrap up and to embalm the body of Jesus. But when they get to the graveside that morning, they're surprised because the stone is rolled back. The soldiers who were guarding the tomb, they're laying on the ground as if they were dead. And an angel is standing there and he asks that famous question, why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus is not here. He is alive and he has risen. And you guys, all of heaven is celebrating. In that moment, heaven and earth realized the cross was never the end, church. The cross was never the final period. It was simply the start to a brand new beginning. And I can imagine the celebration in heaven. It must have looked something like this. Great job. Thank you, students and our kids. And I imagine that's just a slight picture of heaven on that morning while there's dancing, while there's singing, there's saints of old that are rejoicing because Christ has risen from the grave, because the tomb is empty. And that's all Jerusalem is talking about that morning. That's on the front headlines of the newspaper. It's what's trending in everyone's conversation. They're talking about this man that the Roman empire tried to kill that they tried to bury in a grave, but even death itself could not hold him. And so there's all these conversations about what it meant that the tomb was empty. But it doesn't just stop in Jerusalem. Over the next days and weeks and months, this begins to spread. And in years, it's not just in the city of Jerusalem. Now there are groups of people getting together in distant cities, even in other countries, talking still about this man that rose from the grave and that was resurrected that first Easter morning. But then something happens that always happens. It's that time goes on. And people fell back into routine. They got up, they went to work, they did their jobs. And so this just became something from the distant past. I mean, you fast forward 20 years, and even the church, even the people that said, yeah, we believe in Jesus, they had forgotten the real power of Easter and the real power of resurrection, what it meant that Christ accomplished victory by coming out of the grave. The church had forgotten about that because it was a few decades ago. I mean, can you remember what was in the headlines 20 years ago? Some of you can't because you're not even that old, okay? So you weren't even born yet. But maybe others of you, maybe you can slightly remember, like I couldn't remember 20 years ago. And, and so I had to look it up. So 20 years ago, right at this time, our president, it looked like he was going to be impeached, okay? Bill Clinton had, um, under oath, he had given some false statements in a courtroom. And so we didn't know, like as a nation, what this was going to look like. So this is what filled the headlines. Like, are we going to, in our lifetime, have a president that's going to be impeached? And so that was, that was there. In the world headlines, war had just broken out in Kosovo. And so everyone was talking about that, the war that was going on in there. And, and there was all of this, you know, rumors of what was going to happen and what that was going to look like. How about the end of the year 20 years ago? You guys remember this, we were scared. The news outlets told us, you need large amounts of water, 
large amounts of food. You need to store up cash because Y2K is coming, right? And the whole system's going to crash, you guys. Like on midnight, we're not going to have anything. Trucks aren't going to be operating. Food's not going to be available. Like everything's going to go bad. And then midnight came and went and we were all fine, right? And we don't even think about that anymore. It's 20 years ago. And that's what's happening because the church has just been living their life that they've forgotten about the power of the resurrection. And they've forgotten about what happened that first Easter morning. And so we look at this letter that's written 20 years later to a church in Corinth, this city, and Paul's writing to them in chapter 15. And this is what's known as the resurrection chapter. And he writes it for one reason. Church, we have forgotten about the power and the victory of what Christ did that first Easter morning. And so I want us to look at this. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, open them this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start reading at verse 3. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there is a blue Bible in the seat in front of you. And you can turn to page 559 in that Bible. And I want to encourage everyone to do that. Or just take out your smartphone, Google 1 Corinthians 15. You will get there and follow along with us. And we're going to look at this chapter. Once again, this is known as the resurrection chapter. Paul writes about the power of Easter and the power of what happened in the victory of Christ. And he's writing, as I said, because the church had forgotten. And so earlier in this letter, he's like, oh man, we've forgotten some serious stuff. So he has to write the church and he's like, you're allowing sin to happen right there in your midst. And he's like, the kind of sin you're allowing to happen in the church, it would embarrass non-religious people. Like they would look at that sin and be like, man, that's a little bit too much for us. And that's what you're saying is okay to happen right in the church. And he's like, there are others of you in the church, you're getting together, eating a meal, and you're just getting wasted. Like you're drinking way too much, you're drunk, you're slurring your speech, and then you're trying to eat together, and some of you are pigging out, you're eating all the barbecue. There's nothing for anyone else. And you're okay with your neighbor or your friend going hungry because you've had all the food that you can get and all that you want. And Paul's like, this isn't, why Jesus came. This isn't the power of the resurrection. And he's writing to the church saying, you've forgotten about some things. And so I need to remind you of these things. And so 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 says this, for what I received, I passed on to you. As of first importance, he's saying this is vital to your faith, that Christ died for our sins according to scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scripture. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So he's saying, hey, some of those people have died, but most of them are still alive. And then he appeared to James and to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What's Paul saying? Paul's reminding the church of, hey, you've forgotten some things. You've allowed sin into your midst. You've forgotten how to love one another and put others first. You've forgotten how to serve one another. And so I want to remind you what's vitally important. What's important in your life? What are the things you need to focus in? You need to remember that Jesus came and he died for your sins. But not only that, after he was buried in that tomb, that he came to life again. And so Paul's reminding the church, this victory is real. This isn't just a story from 20 years ago. Christ's victory is real. What he accomplished that Easter morning when he rose from the grave, the victory of Christ, it's something real. This really happened. And there's people in the church that are just thinking, 
well, maybe this is a fairy tale, right? Like maybe this got made up somewhere along the way. Maybe this didn't really happen. Maybe we've been tricked into believing a lie. Maybe you drank the red Kool-Aid, okay? And you've been brainwashed at this point and you're believing something that wasn't real. So Paul said, if there's moments of doubt in your life, just go talk to Cephas. Go talk to Peter. He saw Jesus dying on the cross. He saw him buried in the tomb and then he saw him resurrected. And so if there's moments of doubt, if you're wrestling with this thing like, man, were we tricked somewhere along the way? Just go talk to Peter. He can tell you what really happened. Now, there were probably people in the church, like there's probably people in this room. Of course, Peter's going to say that Jesus is alive because he's Jesus' close friend. He wants Jesus to be alive. He doesn't want Jesus to be dead. And so Paul said, okay, well, there's 500 others. There are 500 men and women that at the same time, not just a few here and a few there, but in that same moment, they witnessed with their eyes, their eyewitnesses to the resurrected Savior. Christ's victory is real. This really happened. And so I'm telling you, there is a reason for your faith. There's a reason you should believe this. And then Paul said, just ask me. I can tell you because I've seen Jesus. And he said, it's as one abnormally born. What did he mean? He's saying, you need to understand that when Christ appeared to me, I wasn't into the church thing. Matter of fact, Paul had, he had plotted with those that had killed Jesus, these religious leaders. He had gotten letters that he was allowed to go to Damascus, Samaria, into these other cities. And if he found anyone that said, we believe Jesus rose from the grave, that he could kill them. If you were found in a setting like this and Paul walked into the room, he had the right to end your life right there in that moment or at least to imprison you. And so Paul's saying, man, I was against all of this. I wanted nothing to do with God. I was trying to stop this church thing. And all of a sudden, one day out on a desert road, Jesus appeared to me. I saw the risen Savior. And he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, my life was changed. If you don't think this is real, just talk to me because I am a different person. I'm not the same person. The victory of Christ, it has changed me. It's made me a different individual. My life is different. I'm telling you, don't forget this. This thing is real. And he goes on to remind the church, if this isn't real, if this didn't really happen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13, if there's no resurrection, If you get all scientific and you're like, this couldn't have really happened. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And your faith, this foundation of religious belief in your life, like it's in vain. It doesn't even have a purpose. Paul's saying, if you don't, if you've forgotten this, if you think this is some made up story from decades ago, what in the world are you doing here this morning? What is all of this about? Why would you do this? Why would you even go through these rituals? Why would you have these practices? If you're not living in the resurrected victory of Christ, why are we even doing this? None of this makes sense. I was thinking about that. Have you ever stopped and thought about how you would explain Easter to someone that was maybe from a different planet? Someone came, how would you describe what we do on this day? Well, we think there's a magical bunny and he poops out plastic eggs, okay? And then we tell our kids, go in the backyard and there's some sweet treats in those eggs and you can find those and eat them, okay? If you're not from our culture, you're thinking, you're some pretty sick parents, okay? Why do you do that to your kids? That's messed up. 
Or we take these eggs, right? And we hard boil them and then we decorate them and then we hide them and we tell our kids to go in the backyard and find them, which is a horrible idea. Because if they don't find all the eggs, you guys, I don't know if you've ever had the distinct privilege of discovering an Easter egg two or three weeks later, but it smells horrible, right? A rotten egg is one of the worst smells and, and you're, try, you're trying to just get rid of it. And this is what we do. We, we do this over and over and it would seem weird. And I know we understand the celebration and it's fun and, and we love to do this, but it could seem kind of odd. And that's what Paul is saying. Wait, if you don't really believe Jesus is alive, why are you getting dressed up and waking up early? You could be in bed right now. Why are you going to sit in a room 2,000 years later and just sing about a dead guy? You're sitting next to strangers. You don't even know these people. And you're going to come sit here and waste an hour of your life? Why are you going to listen to a guy ramble for 30 minutes about someone who got wrongfully killed by some government a long, long... He's saying none of this makes sense. If you don't believe that Christ is risen, if you don't believe the victory is real, what in the world are you doing, church? Why are we here? But he's, he's writing them to remind them, you've forgotten some things. I'm telling you that Christ really rose from the grave. And that simple fact right there, it has changed my life. I'm a different person. And God makes all the difference in our lives when we realize the victory of Christ, it is a real thing. Jesus came and he rose from the grave. And so Paul goes on and he writes here, Christ's victory defeated death and it stopped sin. If you still have your Bibles open, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, in this resurrection chapter, he said, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. I'm telling you, this really happened. He was the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep or those that have died. And since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead comes through one man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all are being made alive. And then you jump down a few verses in verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then in verse 55, Paul writes, Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying? Is he saying, I'm telling you, this victory, it's real, and it changes everything. This simple fact that Christ rose from the grave, that he was resurrected that first Easter, it makes all the difference in the world. We don't even look at death the same way. And so there are all these cultural things around death, right? There's fear. There's these ideas, we're scared of death. And so in some cultures, they mummify the dead because we're trying to prolong life. We don't want to acknowledge that that life has actually ended. They throw food in the coffin because the dead guy may wake up and get hungry, right? And so we want to believe that maybe somewhere he's still alive. Something's still happening there. In some cultures, you don't say the name of a dead person because you don't really understand it. And it's kind of fearful what's happened to them. You don't want it to happen to you. I remember when I was little, riding in the school bus, you had to hold your breath when you drove past the cemetery. And if you didn't, death would get on you and you'd be the next person to die on that bus, okay? And so that's, there's all of these things and Paul's saying, wait a minute, because the resurrection happened, we don't view death like that anymore. We don't live in fear. Death doesn't hold us captive. It doesn't grab hold of our lives and say, I've got a hold of you. No, we see even death itself different because Christ overcame, because Christ is victorious. We are victorious in our lives. 
And so that's what he's saying. You look at this whole world differently. And the fact that he rose again, it stopped sin. The power of sin, the law that was holding us captive, Christ overcame that. Now, here's what happens. So many of us, we get half the picture. And we're like, okay, Aaron, I kind of get the thing that the cross, right? And so in some churches, there's a big cross, or even on the building, they do a big cross. Or you wear a crucifix around your neck because you want to be reminded Jesus came and he died and he forgave me of my sins. But church, that's only half the picture. We're missing the resurrection. And he came, and that's so powerful. If that's all he did, that would be enough, church. We couldn't ask for for anything more, that he stepped in your place, that we were guilty, that we had wronged God, and we had disobeyed him, and we had no right to ask for anything else. But that's not where it stops. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul reminds us of this when he says this right here, for it was for our sake that God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect and blameless, and God took your mistakes. God took your disobedience, and he put it on top of Christ. But then Paul doesn't end the verse there. He says, wait, there's more, because there was the resurrection. So in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Paul's saying there's something beyond the cross. There's a power that happens when Jesus gets up out of the grave that first Easter morning on that Sunday morning. It does something. It changes something in your life. You don't have to be held captive by sin anymore. And so it's that thought that you and I, we deserve what we were headed for. And we were walking down the hallway towards execution. We were walking towards the electric chair. And in that last moment, Jesus stepped in our place and he took our punishment. And once again, we get that part of the picture. But the story doesn't end there. See, to take that illustration further, it's like you're swept away into a side room. And there's the most perfect outfit there. Ladies, there's a beautiful formal gown. Guys, there's a tuxedo. Or if you don't like a tuxedo, maybe something like this, okay, that's a little bit more casual. But it fits you perfectly. It's like someone planned ahead. And then you're taken in a limo. And you're brought to a celebration. And there's celebrities, there's political leaders there. And they're telling everyone, one by one, they come up on the stage, and they tell everyone how amazing you are. And you're thinking, I'm supposed to be dead right now. I'm still just trying to wrap my mind around that. I was supposed to be executed. And you're up on stage. It's embarrassing because you're thinking, eventually, they're going to figure this out. I don't belong here. I was supposed to be executed And then they hand you the Nobel Peace Prize and they're looking at you saying, we wish the world was just full of more people like you. And you're thinking, you don't even know me. You don't know what I've done. And they're celebrating you. And Paul's saying, wait, if you could imagine the emotions and what's going on in that moment, you get the slightest picture of what the resurrection is. Because Jesus took off his coat and he said, I'm gonna wrap you up in my righteousness. That's what the resurrection does. And he says, every time now that God looks at you, he doesn't see a liar. He doesn't see a murderer. He doesn't see the sexual immoral. He doesn't see the drug addict. He doesn't see the alcoholic. All he sees is Jesus. There's this theological term called justification. It's just a fancy way of saying every time God looks at you, he sees you just as if you had never sinned. You feel guilty, but God says every time I look at you, you're blameless, you're perfect, you're righteousness. My son wrapped you up in his righteousness. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the other part of the picture. There's victory. Paul says Christ came and he stopped 
sin in our life. There's one more thing that Paul reminds the church. Have you forgotten this? He says, my victory is sure. Some of you are living in defeat. Easter for you is about comfort. And so honestly, some of you here this morning, you may have gotten a flyer. Someone gave you an invite card and we plan our Easter by, okay, this church has a petting zoo. That looks like that'll be fun. They're going to have an egg hunt. Okay, that's where I'm going to go. That guy looks pretty funny. Okay, I'm going to go listen to him. And that's how we plan it. And Paul's saying you're missing the power and the victory that Christ promised. This is not about your comfort, church. This is not what makes you feel good this morning. This is the fact that Christ came and he gave his life and he had the power to take it up again and he rose again and the victory that God promises us, it's a sure thing. And so Paul says, ever since the beginning pages of this book, ever since our great ancestors in that first moment decided we can be God, we can do this better than God himself. And so we're gonna disobey, we're gonna do this our own way. God shows up on the scene and he looks at the enemy He looks at Satan and he says, I'm telling you, my salvation's coming. And there may be moments, devil, where you think that you're winning, where you strike at the heel of my victory, but I'm telling you, he's going to come and crush your head. And page after page, history through the history books, through poetic literature, through songs and through prophetic verses, God over and over again is telling his people, my victory is a sure thing. My victory is coming. Don't give up. Even when the enemy looks like he's winning, my victory is a sure thing. And in high school, imagine Aaron about a foot shorter, about a hundred pounds lighter, okay? Okay easily. And I love to play basketball, but I was not good when I started, you guys. But we lived in Colorado Springs, and so the Air Force Academy, the college for the Air Force, was right near us, and security wasn't as tight, so we could come and go on the base quite a bit. And so I would find myself there a few nights a week playing basketball against college guys. And at first, it was just embarrassing. But then after weeks and months of playing with guys that were bigger, stronger, better than me, I got pretty good at basketball. And there were moments, there were nights after doing that for over a year where I was on fire. And I would start to taunt my opponents. Have you guys ever done this playing sports? I would talk some trash, you guys. Probably not the smartest thing against a big college guy, okay? But, but I would do that. And I would tell him, hey, I'm about to take this ball coast to coast. I'm going to dribble from one end to the other. I'm going to fake you out at the three-point line. And then I'm going to drive this in and I'm going to slam dunk this. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. I'm going to take it. And I'm going to pull up at the three-point line and just shoot a jumper right in your face. Nothing but net. Now, honesty moment, it was embarrassing when it did not go down like that, Okay didn't always happen like that. But in those moments where I did it, where I could actually fulfill what I was saying, it felt so amazing. I was excited. It was victory in that moment. And that's what Paul is saying that God did to our enemy. God looked at Satan, the one that was trying to destroy and kill your life. And he said, Satan, I can tell you 300 times over and over and over again, and there's nothing you can do to stop my victory. It's a sure thing. Satan, I can tell you 550 years before it ever happens. I can line it out in detail, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yes, you may be trying to destroy my people. There may be moments where you feel like you're winning, but I'm telling you, you're not going to be anywhere except where I want you because you're going to be defeated. My victory is a sure thing. And that's why Jesus, in the last days, he leans close to his disciples. 
And he says, draw in a little bit closer. Let me tell you, you're about to go through some dark times. There's gonna be some moments over the next few days where you feel defeated. You're gonna think the enemy has won, but I'm here to tell you, be encouraged. Be encouraged, let your heart be lifted up because I have overcome the world. I already know the outcome, I'm going to win. Victory is gonna triumph, I'm gonna come up out of that grave and because I'm victorious, you're gonna be victorious. Church, that's what Jesus is here saying to you this morning. The medical bills may be piling up. You may get that report from the doctor. That relationship may look like it's broken, but Jesus is saying, lean in, be of good cheer. It may look dark in this moment, but I'm telling you my victory's coming. I'm gonna be victorious. I'm gonna triumph over evil.